Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. All of us here in the room, those of you joining us online, we're glad you're with us too. We like to begin our services with this greeting that Christians have been using for just about as long as they've been Christians, I think. The Lord be with you. Thank you. Uh, the reason we say that is because we want to be aware of God's presence with us. It's not like we're saying, you know, please show up, Lord. Uh, we're just saying, like, hey, make us aware of your presence with us. Because you guys know, as we go through our week, it can be pretty easy to feel like God's absent. It can be pretty easy to feel like, man, what's going on? And sometimes we just need these moments, these rhythms where we come together and we remind ourselves uh, through little greetings, through songs, through prayers, through scriptures, remind ourselves of God's presence with us, of his love for us, of his grace. So let's bow our heads and pray to him as we begin. Thank you, God. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together uh, to worship you today, to sing to you, to pray to you, uh, to listen for your spirit speaking through the scriptures, uh, to gather around the table of our Lord Jesus. We are so grateful that you meet us right where we live. And so today we offer you all that we are. You, you see it, God. You're, you're right here with us in the middle of it. The, the stresses that we're facing, the, the griefs, the hurts, the uncertainties, the anxieties. God, you, you see all of it. Our frustrations with ourselves, our frustrations with others. Uh, you see our joy and our, and our gratitude. You see uh, all that we walk into this time and place with. So God, I pray you just help us to, to be open to you, to be aware of your presence, to, to be ready for what it is you want to say to us and what it is you want to do in our hearts and lives. Thank you, God. Thank you for loving us, for sending your son Jesus, for sending your spirit today. We are so grateful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, interested, let's stand and let's sing as we begin. Great are you, Lord, mighty in strength. You are faithful. You
amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my Oh, eh. 
Amen. Amen. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness, like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. The sovereign Lord will show his justice to the nations of the world, and everyone will praise him. His righteousness will be like a garden in early spring, with plants springing up everywhere. Please join me as we pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your righteousness, for your justice. We thank you, Lord, for the robe of salvation that you've placed on us this morning. Lord, what a, what a fantastic word picture that is. It's not anything we do. It's not anything that's about us, Lord. It's what you have gifted to us in your salvation. What an amazing, amazing gift it is that only through your grace, this amazing grace we've just sung about, Lord, that we can be robed in your righteousness. Thank you, Father, this morning. Thank you for the joy that that brings us in our lives. In spite of our circumstances, no matter what's going on, that robe of salvation brings us a joy that we can't explain, we can't understand, because it only comes through you, Father. We thank you. We praise you. Lord, we lift up our needs to you this morning, and they may be many, they may be few. You really are the one that knows. But we entrust every need that we have to you today, Lord, whether it be a small thing for us or it, maybe it's a big thing, maybe it's a really big thing, Lord, that weighs heavily on us. We lay it at your feet. We give it to you, trusting, Lord, that you will do what needs to be done in that, in that situation, regardless of what it is. And that, Lord, we would cooperate with you in doing our part to bring about your will in our lives, that we would be obedient and that we would listen to your voice in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for those great places this week, for the, the times that we have sensed you, even in little things, Lord, in the, the leaves that are changing colors, in the, the acorns that seem to be dropping everywhere, in the way the, the animals are preparing for the earth to go to sleep, Lord, we thank you for those blessings. And for all of this, Lord, we praise you. We ask that you'll be with this service, with each person that's here with us in this room, for those of us who join us now online or will join us later, Father, I ask your richest, deepest, most abundant blessings on each one. Thank you for your presence here and for inviting us to be here with you. Be with the rest of the service. Be with Pastor Rich. Be with the word that you've given him, Lord. Be in that word as he presents it to us. And may we hear it for what it is, a message from you to us both individually and as a church, as, as a corporate global church, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We give you all the glory and honor because you alone are worthy. Amen and amen. amen. Well, the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you so much. Take a few moments, if you will, and pass the peace amongst yourselves. 
So uh, for all of you who are online and didn't get a chance to just shake hands and stuff, uh, good morning again, and, and hopefully you'll uh, leave us a little comment letting us know you're with us. And if there's some way we can be praying for you or thanking God with you or answering a question for you, uh, we'd love it if you just go to livinghope.info slash connect and fill out that little uh, digital connect card and let us know uh, whatever message you want to give us there, I guess. Uh, we'd love to connect with you. And... Um, since we didn't get to connect with you just now. And uh, of course, any of us in the room can do that same thing. You can go there on your phones if you'd like, or you can just grab one of those little green cards back there on the table and jot your note or your prayer request or your question and stick it in that little offering box back there. And, uh, and that way I can follow up with you this week. And if you're giving today, you can do that in that box. You can do that online. Uh, any way you want to do that. Uh, we uh, deeply appreciate all of you who give so faithfully. Um, it's, uh, I'm glad that we live in this time where we can... I'm just thinking back to when Stacy and I, we, we tried to give faithfully and we committed to give faithfully, but there were so many Sundays that we forgot our checkbook that, uh, that we would have to catch up or something else. And I'm so glad we can just now go online and set it to automatically happen. Uh, I think we do ours every month maybe. But uh, anyway, uh, thank you to those of you who give faithfully to support the day in, day out work of this church uh, here and around the world. It is, uh, it is huge. So thank you. Um, with the, uh, with the changing seasons, you guys have all noticed a bunch of us are wearing coats today. And uh, so we've got the coat rack out there. We'll have the table out there next week for this uh, little cold weather clothing exchange. Uh, if We've done this the last couple of years where some of you, I think it started because somebody like had moved to our church. They moved to the area and they'd always like knit hats and scarves and things. And, uh, and they would give them away at their other church in the town where they used to live. Now they're here and they're like, could we do something like that? I'm like, yeah, sure, we'll put them on a table. Next thing I know, there are all kinds of folks saying like, oh, well, I've got a coat and I've got this. And it, so we've got a coat rack out there now that's about half full of coats and things. And uh, we'll have a table out there next week too for gloves and hats and all that. So if you have those to share, feel free to bring them and drop them off there. Uh, and if you need one, uh, then you can pick one up. If you don't really need one, like, you know, you've got money, you could go buy your own coat, you know, go buy your own coat, all right? Uh, but we've got folks in our church and folks in our community, folks who pass through during the week, who uh, really, they're not going to have a warm coat if, uh, if somebody doesn't give them one. So uh, we're glad to be able to host that. And, and thankfully, we're not the only place in town that, that does that sort of thing. And then something that uh, has been going on for years now, and we just, I forget to mention it, um, <clears throat> is that in the alley right over here, there's like a, it's like about halfway down the alley, there's a black trash can with a lid on it that says cans for pantry. And if you want to recycle your cans, just drop them in there. Uh, then Howard Hurley takes them to the, the scrapyard and takes the money from that and donates it to the food pantry. So if you're recycling your cans anyway, or if you're not, man, why aren't you? But uh, you could bring them here and drop them in there, and, uh, and, you know, he'll scrap them. And it's not a lot of money, but it's something every year that he gets to donate. And so if you want to do that, uh, you can. And, uh, yeah, don't put garbage in that can. There's other trash cans you can put garbage in. But uh, it's a black trash can out there that says cans for pantry. So, uh I think the only other thing that we've got, I mean, there's other things that are going on around here, and uh, there's no, no, no wedding this Sunday like there was last week, um, but we do have, uh, we do have a, another guest with us. Last week, you got to hear from someone from Lantern Rescue, and if you missed that, there are uh, some brochures out there on the table still. Uh, this week, we get to hear from someone that I got to hear from, was it a month or two ago? I'm trying to remember. Uh, she didn't reach out to me because she started, uh, started serving with, with InterVarsity at VU, um, and, uh, and I wanted to connect with her. She wanted to connect with, you know, different churches in the area. And uh, so Morgan Folgers is going to come and talk to us. Uh, I really appreciated hearing what you are doing and what's going on on VU's campus and uh, Purdue Northwest, I think, right? Yeah. Okay. She's got five minutes to tell us whatever she wants to tell us. So yes. let's. 
Hello, it's great to be here. Um, as Pastor Rich said, my name is Morgan Folgers, and I am on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. So I have been on staff with InterVarsity for over four years now. So fun fact about me, I am not from Indiana. I'm sorry to disappoint. I'm from Illinois. I grew up in northwestern Illinois, which is the epitome of corn country, if you've ever been in that area. So that's the part of Illinois that is very rural. And I went to Illinois State University and graduated in 2019. So I came on staff in 2019. And the reason why I like to share about my college experience is God used my college experience to lead me here. Because we had an university chapter at Illinois State University. So when I was a college student, um, English major at Illinois State University, I got the opportunity opportunity to get connected with InterVarsity, not only just as a student who was very invested in all of our Bible studies and events, but I also got to lead as a student. I got to lead Bible studies. I got to share the gospel with fellow students. I got to disciple students, all of which prepared me to say yes to staff. Because long story short, let's steam ahead to my senior year, God called me to say yes to full-time ministry, and that's how I got here. And I've been at Purdue Northwest since 2019, and as of last year, I started at Valpo. So right now, I give evenly between Valparaiso and Purdue Northwest. So I am at Purdue Northwest on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I'm at Valparaiso on Wednesdays and Fridays. So I am very used to the commute because I live in Highland, but it's not terrible. But so one of the things I love the most about college ministry is we get the front row seat to watching students respond to Jesus with their full lives. And that's part of my story because, again, God met me in college in InterVarsity, not only giving me community, but also teaching me how to go on mission with my whole life. And now as a staff, I get to walk students in that. So ideally, what our vision in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship is we want to equip college students to be missionaries with their full lives. So we want to train them up, disciple them, mentor them, so that when they leave college, no matter where God calls them, they get to live out the gospel because we as disciples are called to make disciples. And so the beautiful thing about the college campus is students are open and excited and willing to jump into leadership and to jump into opportunities that will help them grow. So I have the joy between my two campuses, I may be doing the math wrong in my head right now, but I would say at least 17 students um, are being discipled to live out the gospel as student leaders between Valparaiso and Purdue Northwest. And it is a joy to walk with students. It is a joy to help them learn what it means to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with their friends. It is a joy to disciple them and watch them go deeper with Jesus in their faith journey. It is a joy to teach them how to lead a Bible study. It's a joy to teach them how to have deeper spiritual conversations. So ultimately, that's what we're doing as InterVarsity. And not only are we equipping Christian students, but we're also creating space for people who do not know Jesus to come and respond to Jesus with their full lives. So I like to break down InterVarsity in three major parts. So those three major parts are evangelism, discipleship, and community. So of course, there are multiple layers that are encompassing of that, but what I love about these three components is we're developing students in all of these places. Evangelism, we're developing students to live out the gospel, and we're also creating rhythms on college campuses to give people an opportunity to respond to the gospel. So, for example, at Valpo right now, we have outreach every week, and what we do with our outreach is we are having intentional spiritual conversations with people on campus, and I don't know if you all are aware of this, but 
college students, specifically Generation Z, is very open to having spiritual conversations because I think more than ever, this student generation is aware of what's happening in the world because of social media, because of what they're exposed to. So they're asking those deeper questions. So as soon as they see a space that is answering those questions, they are willing to jump into it. So that is what our, why we do evangelism. And the beautiful thing about evangelism is we also get to build relationships with students because every student is in a different place in their faith journey and we get to walk with them in that. And through that, we get to disciple our students to do that as well. One of my favorite things ever is when my student leaders come to outreach and I get to coach them in sharing the gospel and I get to watch them share the gospel with their peers. And then I get to challenge them to think through who are the non-Christians you're connected with and how can you be bold and how can you share the gospel with those non-Christian friends? So evangelism, that was point number one. And then of course, discipleship. So we are actively developing students to follow Jesus and say yes to Jesus with their whole lives. So for example, right now with the students that I am discipling, we are focusing on this theme of whole life discipleship. So what that means and what that looks like is what does it look like for us to say Jesus in every, say yes to Jesus in every part of our lives? How do we say yes to Jesus in our finances? How do we say yes to Jesus in our relationships? How do we say yes to Jesus in our classes, in academics, in workplace? Because ultimately we want our students to be thinking about, okay, I am called to live out the gospel in every part of my life. I can't put my faith in a box. I can't put my walk with Jesus in a box. I need it to inform and transform everything I do and everything I say. So what does that look like and what does that mean? So we as InterVarsity are helping students get to that point. So then they're disciples who are making disciples. And then finally, community. We're creating spaces for students to be a part of a community that is living out the light of Jesus. We are calling and championing students to live out the vision of Acts, the Fellowship of the Believers, a community that breaks bread together, is devoted to Christ together, and is constantly inviting people in and welcoming people in. So those are the hallmarks of InterVarsity Ministry. There are many other things I can share, but that's the summary. And in short, the Lord has been moving powerfully. Even in this past year at Valparaiso, I have seen so many students come up to us in our outreach events and in our Bible studies, bringing their questions honestly about faith in Jesus. I had one student come up to me, I think it was two weeks ago, and express that he had never been in a Christian space before that made him feel welcomed in the ways that InterVarsity had and continues to make him feel. And the student shared that he has a lot of church hurt, and he has been in this place where he didn't think he could bring his experience to a church community. And he has been very grateful that InterVarsity has given him that space to ask his questions and ultimately to encounter Jesus. And right now, our community is praying that he will have a real encounter with Jesus in his questions and in his struggles that he's bringing to community with honesty. So in terms of partnering with InterVarsity, there are many ways you can partner. I'd say the most important way to partner with InterVarsity is through prayer because it all starts with prayer. The Holy Spirit goes before us, and the Holy Spirit is already moving on campus. And it has been beautiful to see that and to partner with what God is already doing. And we are constantly inviting partners to be a part of that work because 
our ministry partners are just as much a part of the work of the gospel on campus as we as staff are, and we are so blessed and we are so grateful for that. I know right now, if I look at my prayer newsletter, I have 100 people actively praying for the ministry, and I am so blessed by that because they are as much a part of what's happening on campus. So that's the first invitation is considering what it could look like to commit to praying for Valparaiso, praying for Valpo's campus, praying that students will respond to Jesus and that their lives will be Will, that their lives will be transformed for eternity, and praying that student leaders will be bold in the ways that they live out the gospel. And in doing so, or in doing that, there are many ways to do that, whether it's through the prayer newsletters I send out every month, or through my Facebook group, if you are a Facebook user. I understand not everyone in this room is, but those are the two options. And I do have a table out back, so if you wanna talk more about that, feel free to find me after service. And then the other two invitations we have for ministry partners are volunteering and financial partnership. So with volunteering, it can be as simple as, oh, I would love to come on campus with Morgan and help with outreach. Or I would love to come on campus with Morgan and be present at a Bible study or an event and be and to, in real time, be praying for these students, or I would love to come on campus with Morgan and meet these students that she's engaging with and meeting with. So there are many ways to partner, and I love to invite local partners into that because Valparaiso University is in your backyard, and there are many ways you can partner in that way. And then finally, there's an invitation to financially partner. God has given us many gifts, and we as the body of Christ are invited to use those gifts in different ways, and some of us are called to partner financially. And we as campus staff cannot do ministry work without the generosity of partners and without partners saying yes to giving to the ministry, giving so we have ministry resources so that we can be on campus discipling and developing and championing students to live out the gospel with their whole lives. So those are the invitations I have. If you would like to talk more about that, again, I will be in the back after service and I would love to talk to you. And if you'd like to hear more stories of what God is doing on campus, I am happy to share more. So it's a joy to be here, and thank you again for having me. Thank you. Uh, is, is, I want us to pray for Morgan and for InterVarsity. Is there one particular thing that you'd like us to be praying for? I think just pray for spiritual renewal on campus. Okay. There's one thing Okay, spiritual renewal on campus because they're sensing just a lot of deadness on campus. So I know some of you might think, wait, Valparaiso University is a Lutheran university. Aren't all the kids there Christians? You know, no, that's not how it works. You know, I went to Olivet Nazarene University uh, eons ago, and uh, <clears throat> not every kid there was connected with the Church of the Nazarene. Not every kid there was, was Christian, you know. Uh, there were people there of other religions and people of, you know, no faith at all. And people trying to figure out, like, where is this faith that I you know, like grew up with? Is this going to be something I carry with me into the future or not? And, uh, and that's the same thing's true here in Valparaiso University. So uh, let's bow our heads for a moment. Let's, let's pray for Morgan for InterVarsity. God, thank you for, uh, for calling Morgan to this ministry. Thank you for giving her the resources she needs. And uh, God, I pray you to help us. If, if uh, you are moving us to, to join in praying for her or financially supporting her or volunteering with her, then God, I pray you would speak that. Uh, clearly to our hearts today and help us to be obedient to you and say yes. We do pray for spiritual renewal on the campus of Valparaiso University. We pray that you'll work not only through InterVarsity but through other groups that might be present on campus and, and uh, through the chapel there. Um, God, please uh, use all the different uh, options available to you to work in the hearts and in the minds and the lives of the students who are there, uh, who are here in our community. Uh, help faith to come alive for them. 
uh, help them to continue to bring their questions, to bring them to you, to bring them to, uh, to other Christians, to bring them to people like Morgan who are going to be uh, willing to help them to ask those questions well and to seek truth, to seek answers, to seek you. Thank you, God, for those uh, in our own lives who are willing to come alongside us when we had questions, who are willing to model Christ and, and his love for us. Um, so again, God, we thank you for Morgan and thank you for the student leaders there. Pray you'd bless them and work through them by your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, thanks again, Morgan. Um, so uh, any other announcements or things that we need to share about or anything like that? Okay. Okay. All right. Um, well, today we are continuing our journey through the, the book of Romans, this letter that Paul wrote to these early Christians in Rome. And we're going to look at some verses today that are sometimes, oh man, throughout history, some of these verses have been so misused and have, have caused the church to, to participate in some things that today we look back and we think, what were those Christians thinking? How could they have thought that that was okay? How could they have thought that that's what they should have done? And uh, we're going to look at some verses in Paul's letter to the Romans that have been used by people like me, pastors standing up in front of congregations. They get used by uh, politicians. They get used by folks to, uh, well, to, to lead the church into some real ugliness. And so we're going to look at those uh, today. But, but first, just by way of review, the book of Romans, you might remember, is written to a mixed church, Jews, Gentiles, folks from, from all sorts of different backgrounds. And for them to come together was was challenging, and the Apostle Paul was trying to help. And, and so, for example, in, in chapter 3, he says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Um, he's trying to say, look, we're all on the same level playing field here, folks. Doesn't matter if you grew up knowing all the stories about God and, and following him as faithfully as you could, or if you grew up like far from God or in some other religion or, you know, just doing things your own way. And it's just been recently you've come to faith. He says, we're all the same. We've all sinned. We all depend on, on the work that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Uh, which is why in chapter five, he says, look, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, died for you, died for me. Uh, so that we could be a part of his family, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be a part of this new work that he's doing in the world. Uh, in chapter 8, we looked at this last week, where he says, uh, he says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And that purpose, he says in the following verses, that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He says God works through all sorts of circumstances for our good. You know, good circumstances, bad circumstances, you know, all these students who are going through college right now and, you know, the, all the different challenges. Those of you who went through college, you, you know, may remember the challenges of those years. Uh, if you've made it through your 20s, if you're past that, which most of us in this room are, it looks like, uh, you might remember the challenges of that season of life, right? Uh, God works through all things for our good in order. He's, he's got a destination for us. He has picked our destination in advance. He's predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he wants for us. That's the end of the road for us, is to look like Jesus. So we also looked last week at Romans chapter 12, which uh, is important context for chapter 13, which is where we're headed, all right? The beginning of chapter 12, he says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Right? He wants us to be molded into the image of Christ. He says, don't, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. 
Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. You'll know what God wants you to do because he will have transformed your thinking, transformed your life. The world is going to try to get you to follow its pattern, its way of life. It's going to try to keep you living its way. And he's saying, no, no, don't do that. Don't let the world shape you. Let, let God shape you. Let him change the way you think. We used the example last week of like the news we listen to and listen to a lot of conservative news. You're going to start thinking and moving in that direction. If you listen to a lot of you know, liberal news or whatever, then you're going to start thinking and moving in that direction just because that's what influences your thought. I mentioned an experiment somebody did where they spent a month listening to one, spent a month listening to the other, and, it, and they saw, yeah, it, it shapes the way I think, the way I see the world. The world is constantly trying to get us to conform to its patterns, its, its habits, its way of life. And he's saying, don't do that. <laughs> Let God transform you so that you can be conformed to the image of Jesus. And the way that gets played out by the end of chapter 12, he's saying things like, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And, and it might be that as he's, as he's kind of wrapping that up, he, he thinks, you know what, speaking of not being overcome by evil, he, he moves to the topic that we're looking at here. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, i got to say, at first, first blush, first glance, first, first look at these passages, it's like kind of surprising to hear this coming from the pen of the Apostle Paul. In fact, it's so unusual that there have been some folks that, that thought, maybe somebody else stuck this in later. Like, for Paul to say this is like, really? Because Paul all the time was doing things that got him in trouble. Right? I mean, we went through the book of Acts. We didn't spend a lot of time on the journeys of Paul, but we had a month where you had the chance to read that. And then, like, the second half of the book is about Paul traveling around, and almost every place he went, he got in trouble. He gets thrown in jail, he gets flawed, he gets beaten, he gets all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and so, for him to say, Oh, you know, the people in charge are, you know, God put them there for your good. If you do what's right, you know, they'll, they'll commend you. Like, well, Paul, are you saying you didn't do what was right? Or what are you saying? Because you didn't get commended a whole lot. You got beaten and thrown in jail a whole lot. And, you know, for Paul, who is, uh, his life is saturated in the story of Jesus. I mean, Jesus did what was right, undeniably. And those in authority executed him. So the idea that Paul could say, hey, rulers hold no terror for those who do right. 
<laughs> they would just punish the wrongdoers. Like, really? Paul, are you sure? The, the way that this is, uh, so, it's, so it's surprising already to hear this. Like, what is Paul getting at here? What is he trying to say? And maybe you're aware of some of the ways this passage has been misused uh, down through the centuries. I mean, this has been used to support all kinds of ugliness on the parts of, like, political leaders. Like, reaching way back to, like, the divine right of kings, where the kings would, you know, these kinds of passages would get proclaimed to say, like, look, God put the king in charge, and, and you know, he's God's servant for good. So if the king says this is how it's supposed to go, that's how it's, you know, that's kind of God working through the king. So do what the king says. Or whether it's, you know, Christians in this country, you know, supporting uh, chattel slavery, people being treated uh, as non-human and churches going right along with that, pastors standing up in front on Sunday morning, like preaching God's word and saying that that's what, that's the law, that's the law of the land, that's what we've got to support. Or in Germany, you know, the time of the, the Nazis and the Holocaust and so many churches going right along with that. Um, Christians being told, look, this is the law of the land. These are authorities put in place by God. It's our duty, it's our obligation to go along with this, to obey the authorities. And I mean, you could keep going. You know, these, these verses get used uh, over and over again in those kinds of ways. Um, but I hope it's clear, and we're going to look at some different stories that we need to keep in our minds for the broader context of Scripture and just even the context of, of Paul's letter to the Romans, that, uh, that Paul is not saying whoever's in charge, they're always right. Right? I mean, we know that's not true. He was writing at the time when uh, you know, the Roman Caesars were declaring themselves to be divine, lords of all. Um, Caesar's claiming to be the prince of peace and the, the son of God. And Paul speaks directly against that by saying, no, 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 Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the prince of peace. Jesus is the one that, that we owe our ultimate allegiance to, not some emperor. And... Um, and so we know he's not saying just do whatever the people in charge tell you to do. Right? In fact, he doesn't ever say that in here. We might hear that, but that's not what he says. He says, what does he say at the beginning? Let everyone be subject to governing authorities. And later on in verse 5, he says, therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities. But he's saying don't rebel against the authority. But he doesn't say you always have to obey what the authority tells you to do. There are going to be times in any believer's life where you're going to end up having to disobey what someone in charge tells you to do because they're telling you to do something that's wrong. And to follow God, your, your ultimate allegiance is to God. And to follow God, you're going to have to disobey one of these you know, lower lords. You know. But as Christians, we disobey. If we disobey, then we submit to whatever punishment might come along with that. That's what Paul modeled for us in his life. That's what Jesus himself did as well, right? Jesus didn't rebel against those who executed him. He submitted himself. That's sort of some, uh, some stories for us to remember uh, that I put there in your notes. Uh, Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, he talked about paying taxes. Remember, he was asked, hey, are we supposed to pay taxes to, Ro to, to Rome or not? And he asked, like, hey, who's got a coin? And he says, Who's, whose picture's on this coin? Oh, it's Caesar's. So he says, well, give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Like reminding them, oh, you've got the image of God stamped on you. You're created in the image of God. You've got a higher allegiance that you owe your life to. Sure, let Caesar have his money back, but, uh, but you belong to God. 
There's, uh, as I was preparing for this message, there were several people, uh, like the Bible scholars who write the books about you know, uh, the commentaries and all of that, um, who are saying they, they think maybe the paying taxes thing was the big deal, the reason why Paul includes this, because the Romans, people in Rome were kind of double taxed. There was the regular tax that everybody paid, and then there was like, kind of like a sales tax kind of thing, uh, the revenue, where he says this is why you pay taxes, you know, if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. This is referring to like these two different kinds of taxes. And Nero at one point like the indirect taxes. Nero promised like, hey, I'm going to do away with those indirect taxes. But of course, like any good politician, he didn't keep that promise, right? They, they still had to pay those, those taxes. But, but he made a promise that, that he was going to get rid of those because people didn't like them. And there was kind of a tax revolt going on at this time. And Paul is saying to the Christians there, hey, don't, don't join in this tax revolt business. You know, don't, don't rebel against the authorities. God doesn't want society to just sink into chaos. He doesn't want us to live in a world where bullies just run over everybody, which you could kind of get that idea from the end of chapter 12, right? What we were just reading, he's saying, like, don't take revenge. Leave that to God. He's saying, don't, don't be overcome. Don't return evil for evil. Do your best to live at peace with people. You know, if your enemy's hungry, feed them. You, you could see that, and like the, which he's echoing the teachings of Jesus and how we love our enemies. You could see that and think, well, if everybody did that, then like the strong are just going to bully the weak all the time. They're just going to take their lunch money and run, and it's just going to happen every day. And, you know, there's got to be someone that steps in to put a stop to that. And so Paul's saying, look, look, there are authorities. God doesn't want chaos. He does put authorities in place to restrain evil, to reward good. And so we need to participate in that. But we don't obey unjust laws or unjust, unjust uh, commands from those authorities and we're willing to take whatever punishment might come along with, with any disobedience. So Jesus has said, yeah, paying taxes is fine, you know, but let them have their tax money. Make sure you give God what belongs to him, though. Way back in the book of Daniel, remember the stories uh, in the book of Daniel where Daniel, uh, chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 6, there's, there's a whole thing where they, they've been carried off into Babylon you know, these, this is when Israel had, had been uh, defeated, I guess, southern, sorry, southern kingdom of Judah. Anyway, the people of God had been defeated by Babylon. A bunch of them had hauled off into exile in Babylon. And Daniel and his friends are faced with, like, what do we do with this? They're telling us to violate the, the kosher laws and eat this food we're not supposed to eat. In chapter 1, you get them saying, hey, hey, how about if we follow our own dietary plan and we'll do a little contest to see who's, who comes out looking healthier. And, and sure enough, they come out looking healthier. You get to chapter 3 where his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow down to the idol, the big statue of the king, and they get thrown in the furnace for it. And, and there's, a great, there's a great line that they have in there where they say, look, our God, we can't do this, king. And our God is able to rescue us, but even if he doesn't, you know, it's like even if he doesn't, we, we cannot do what you're asking us to do. Now, God can deliver us, but if he doesn't, we, we still can't do this. And, uh, and sure enough, they get thrown in the furnace. And then don't burn up. God protects them. Daniel in chapter 6 gets thrown in the lion's den, and God protects them there because he's uh, refusing to, they passed a law saying you can't pray to any other gods but their gods. And Daniel keeps on praying to the God of Israel. They, they defy the authorities repeatedly. Peter and the apostles uh, in Acts chapter 5, they get in trouble uh, with the authorities, and they have this, this great line where they say, look, we must obey God rather than Men, rather than human beings, we've got to do what God tells us to do. You tell us to quit preaching and telling people about Jesus, we can't do that. We can't help but testify about what we've seen and heard. This is what God has told us to do. We've got to do this. In, uh, in Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul, uh, this is when he's in Philippi with, uh, 
with Silas, and they get thrown in jail, and they're singing in the middle of the night, and God sends like an earthquake, and all the, all the chains fall off, and the doors are open, and they're, they don't run off even. They like stick around, which is like, you kidding me? God's setting you free. Go, go, go. But they stick around, and the jailer end up leading him to Jesus. By the end of the chapter, there's this moment where the, uh, the people in charge are saying, fine, just get out of town. And Paul says, hang on a minute. We're Roman citizens, and you beat us without going through the proper, like, without a trial or anything. Uh, that's not right. And the people in charge are, like, freaked out because they didn't know they were Roman citizens, and they know they messed up. And It's like, Paul's not afraid to confront the authorities when they need to be confronted, when they've done something wrong. Jesus himself, when he's standing before Pontius Pilate, the Roman authority there, in John chapter 19, says to him, look, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Which is what Paul is saying here in, in chapter 13. What do he say? There's no authority except for that which God has established. That would be a big surprise to the Caesars of their day. Because they thought, no, no, we're divine. We're, you know, like, I don't know if they thought Zeus, I can't remember now all the details, you know, but they thought their God had, like, you know, given them their authority and all this. And, and for, for Paul to say, you know, no, no, we Christians, we believe that he's only in charge because the God of Israel, the God that we know, created all that there is, the one true God. God is the one that gave him his authority. They would have, Caesar would have laughed, but the Christians are like, no, that's how it works. There is a God and he is above you. You are not in charge, ultimately. God is in charge. And we have all kinds of history in the Old Testament of God using wicked pagan nations. It doesn't mean that they're right. Uh, you read Isaiah chapter 10 and hear how God says, look, I, I've used Assyria, but now I'm going to punish them because they're wicked and evil. God used them to punish the kingdom of Israel but they're still going to be punished themselves for their own wickedness. Cyrus, the Persian, uh, Babylon itself. You know, Jeremiah 29, we looked at that some earlier this year. Jeremiah doesn't call these uh, exiles in Babylon to revolt against Babylon. He says, no, no, it's, it's not a revolution. You seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. You seek the good of this nation that I've carried you away to so that you will do well. If it does well, you will do well. So whatever... Whatever's going on with like the, in the political sphere, <laughs> whatever's going on with the, the people who are in charge of a, of a nation, of a state, um, God's not necessarily calling us to like revolt against that, even if they're evil or wicked. But it is, I have to pick a title every week, and so the title I put at the top of this is that it's a subversive non-revolution, right? God does subvert that evil. He does subvert systems that are... Uh, destructive or oppressive but not by like violent revolution we don't play by the rules that the world plays by we don't conform to the patterns of this world and say if this is wrong we got to stand up take up arms and, and revolt against them no these unjust systems are dismantled by love we overcome evil with good is how he said it at the end of 12 and we see that thankfully in examples like well, like the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King Jr. here in this country, right? Who didn't take up arms, but instead uh, had a nonviolent kind of resistance to expose the injustice uh, that African Americans were being subjected to. And as it was exposed, people saw it for what it was and said, oh no, that's not right. <laughs> we need to change. And systems began to change. So God does set up systems of authority. Um, 
But that doesn't mean that we Christians always just have to obey or blindly follow those or give our full allegiance to that authority. We submit ourselves. We're subject to those authorities. Thankfully, here in this country, we get to vote, you know, every so often and choose, you know. This, this fall, we'll be choosing people here at the city level. Next fall, we'll get to choose uh, people at the uh, federal level, state level, all that. That's a good thing. I'm, I'm glad that we get to participate in that. And the funny thing is, uh, it seems like whenever our, whatever political party you tend toward, whenever your political party is in charge, that's when you find yourself quoting Romans 13, right? Like, hey, we've got to submit to our authorities, you know, that's, that's God put in charge. And whenever the party you lean toward isn't in charge, that's when you, you don't usually quote those, right? Like, oh, the other party won. Well, we've got to submit to the authority, you know. They're the ones that God picked this time. Um, maybe we should try to be a little more consistent with the way we approach Scripture. But um, anyway, it means submitting to, but not necessarily obeying. And I, I just have to read, before we celebrate communion together, the rest of 13. Uh, because this is, again, the context in which he is setting this conversation about uh, those in charge and about uh, paying taxes. He had just said, give to everyone what you owe them. And now he says in verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet, whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. This is what Paul is aiming for over and over again in this letter to the Romans, is to remind them, Look, I know there's some disagreement about, do you have to follow all these laws of Moses? And, and now he's just been talking about the law of the land. And he's saying, look, love takes care of it. Love your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to murder him. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from him. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to covet what they have. And all the rest. He says, love does no harm to a neighbor. So love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, he says, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. That, that verse has been on my mind a little bit lately as uh, you know the, the events taking place in Israel and so many of my friends on Facebook posting things saying like, oh, well, well, going on Israel, end times, all of this, right? The, the, the time is coming, it's getting closer. Um, I can't wait to talk about Revelation uh, this December. That's gonna be fun. But, but whatever you believe about any of that, it's true, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. You know, Christ is going to return at some point. At some point, we're going to be fully saved, rescued uh, from this present evil world. The darkness is finally going to be uh, you know, eliminated by the, the, the dawn, the, the light of God. And that, that will happen someday, and every day it gets closer whenever that happens. Whether that happens next week, or next generation, or a thousand more years from now, or whenever that happens, it's closer now than it was. He says, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. It's like you can see the sunlight. Starting to, it's starting to, starting to lighten. The sun is just about to peak up over the horizon. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. It's like, let's live as if, as if it's already here, as if the sun's already risen, as if we're living in the light. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. I think next week we're going to get to those last couple about uh, the interpersonal conflicts that sometimes happen. It says, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. 
He talks about putting on the armor of light. Put on, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's similar to what he said back in the beginning of 12 about being conformed to the image of, of Jesus. He says, when people look at you, we want them to see Jesus because this is the life that you have taken on. You're taking on a, a life that looks like, you know what, they're living in a different reality than, than the rest of us. They're living in a reality where it's, where it's a good thing to love the unlovable, where it's a good thing, as he says in other places, to like associate with people of different statuses. Rome was all about status, and the upper crust people didn't uh, hang out with the lower crust people, and here they are, are now in the church all like hanging out together. They're living in a different reality where some of those things don't really matter. They're living in a reality where, it's, where you can forgive, where you can be generous, where you can be kind. He says, the world is watching. Let's live a different way. Let's live as if the day is here. Because Christ has risen. Because death has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. Let's live in this new world that, that God is bringing about. It's almost here. It's not fully here yet. There's still quite a bit of darkness. But, man, let's begin to live in the light. That is subversive. Uh, it's not revolutionary in the way of like taking up arms and violently you know, trying to force other people to live that way. But man, when you start to live a different way, that changes the way a, a, a college campus looks. That changes the way a, a, a home looks or a neighborhood or a family. It changes the way a workplace operates. When there are people that are willing to live a different way right there in the middle of the darkness to let the light shine. It's a beautiful thing. All right, we gotta, we gotta pray and celebrate communion together so we can get out there and live this thing out. God, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to, right, right here into the middle of our mess, the middle of our darkness, to shine your light, to, to take the, the ugliness of sin on himself, our sin, our disobedience. And by his death, and resurrection, defeat the powers of sin and death and set us free. God, help us to live in that freedom. Help us to live in that light. Help us to live as people whose lives have been changed. Thank you, God. Thank you for setting up systems of authority and responsibility. And, and God, I pray that you would help us as Christians to be wise and discerning to know when, when we can go along with what um, the laws of the land dictate and when we have to live a different way, being willing to take whatever the consequences might be. God, thank you that we live in a country that for the most part is supportive of, uh, of a life that looks like Jesus. Help us, God, to have wisdom to know uh, how best to vote, how best to participate in this society that we live in, in this democracy that we get to enjoy. But most importantly, God, would you help us to, well, would you help us not to just fall into the patterns and customs of this world, the behaviors and customs of this world, but would you transform us? Would you give us a new imagination? Would you help us to think differently so that we can live in this world as people who look like Jesus? You are so good to us, God. We are so grateful. We can only do this with your help. 
And so thank you for the help that you give. Thank you again for meeting us here. Uh, We celebrate that in the celebration of communion today as we offer to you these gifts of bread and juice. We pray that by your Spirit's presence here, we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood. We're reminded of the great price that was paid to set us free. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us like that. In response, I mean, our response to this love is to offer you ourselves. We admit to you that we have not always loved you with our our whole heart, soul, mind, strength. We've not always loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are lawbreakers in that regard. Thank you, God, that as we confess our sins to you, as we acknowledge our need of your grace and mercy, you are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. You forgive our sins, and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So today, God, would you help us to receive that mercy? Would you, would you wash our sins away? Would you help us to sense your embrace of us as your sons and daughters? Would you fill us with the spirit of Christ so that we might live in this world as the body of Christ, as your hands and feet? Oh, we are so grateful, God. Thank you for loving ordinary, messed up people like us and changing us from the inside out to be a people who look like Jesus. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, the musicians are going to come and lead us in one last song, and Pastor Judy is going to be uh, here to uh, serve us communion today. Um, we are invited to come forward as we sing to take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice, and eat it, and then return to our seats. It's open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today, all of us who are hungry for his grace, uh, who are aware of our need uh, today. Um, <clears throat> we've got the regular little pieces of pita bread or the, some little round gluten-free wafers. We've got the little cups if you need that. And if you can't make your way forward, we've got the little cups on the table that you can peel back to get to the bread and, and to get to the juice. Uh, this really is open for all of us. Um, it doesn't, there's no difference. <laughs> Jew, Gentile, long-time believer, brand-new believer, it, it really does not matter. All of us come uh, to Christ's table in need of his grace and grateful for his love. So let's celebrate this morning.
Thank you again, God, for the grace you have shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us the gift of the spirit of Christ. Fill us today, we pray, so that we might live in this world as the body of Christ, as a changed people, so full of your grace and love that it spills out of us to everyone that you send us to this week. Thank you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.